Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Guys, I hope you enjoyed our last episode. We are here today with a special guest, the real KD himself, Mr. Kevin Davis. How's it going, Kevin? Fine, D. Thank y'all for having me. I have Shirley fans. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kevin is a friend of mine. We had uh, his grandson, whose name is Halen. Yes, that's right. After Van Halen, yes. Nice. Uh, He was wrestling at the uh, same place that my kids were taking wrestling lessons at, and Kevin saw me at a restaurant and was like, hey, you get kids who wrestle. And a friendship was born at that moment because we both started talking about rock songs, and now we're here getting to talk about it on our podcast. That's right. Kevin's been a longtime listener and a contributor, a Patreon to our podcast, to our efforts here. Yeah. If you want to be like Kevin, just go to patreon.com slash Shirley podcast. Okay. Money well spent. <laughs> awesome. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Okay. So we are here today to talk about an album of 1988 because we're doing our summer of 88. Before you do that, okay. before you do that, I just want to do a quick recap. We've spent some time in the summer of 1988 and we are about to come to its conclusion. Here this summer, we've covered the movie Big. Yep. We've covered uh, Living Colors' Vivid album. Yep. We've covered Poison's Open Up and Say Ah, both released on the same day, May 3rd, 1988. We've covered The Great Outdoors. We re-released the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, George Michael's Faith album, NXS's Kick album. We've got Long Cold Winter for you today. We've got OU812 by Van Halen coming up next week. We've already done Die Hard and Coming to America. Don't forget Twins. Twins was December of 1988. Yaggity-yak. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also covered Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You have to find that on the Docking Bay 77 podcast. That's definitely heart of summer of 88. So we've got a pretty good summer of 88 thing going. And on our worst sequels of the 80s, <laughs> we will discuss a movie from the summer of 88, I promise. So we got the worst sequels of the 80s coming up pretty soon. Yes. So that episode was inspired by an episode we did with the pop culture yearbook, which we covered the best sequels of the 80s and 90s. Right. So go check that one out as well. That yeah, that was, was fun. That was yeah. a fun episode. That was like a draft. Like it was a football draft. Yeah, that was a different format. Well, I liked it. Brad, Pete, and GIF. GIF. Our good buddies over at the pop culture yearbook. Was GIF named? No, he was, he was my age, so he wouldn't have been named after like the... Kathy Lee Gifford? No, I was thinking, wasn't GIF the name of Biff's character in like Part and Back to the Future Part Two. Oh yeah, Griff. 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 That's yeah. it. Griff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So we'll take a wish and a prayer, <laughs> cross our fingers, because we always get by. Long Cold Winter by Cinderella. Right. So I was saying, I'm not taking you back to 88. I'm going to take you back to 86. But I'm not going to take you back to 1986. I'm going to take you back to 1886. (laughs) I know you love it when I do that. (laughs) Which is when Lena Blackburn was born. Lena was a professional baseball player, a manager, and an inventor. Let me ask you this. Is there ever a situation where you want your balls to be rough instead of being smooth? I can't think of any. You think I'm going into a manscape bed right now, and I'm not. (laughs) 
The answer to the question is you want them to be rough whenever you are a baseball pitcher. Because if they're too smooth, it's too hard. Well, Lena Blackburn is the guy who invented the mud that they could use to rough up baseballs so that they were rough instead of smooth. He did that in 1938 when he was a third base coach and one of the umpires was complaining when they would rub him in the dirt on the field that made them all dirty and ugly. And so he found the perfect grain of dirt in some New Jersey river. It's this hidden, it's like a secret in baseball. They don't know who really knows where this is. It has been passed down from generation and relatives and friends and the guy still has a, has it a secret, you know? Yeah. I, I go and I find this stuff and if people ask me about it, I'm like, oh, this is just for my garden. You know, he will not tell and he has to get about a thousand pounds a year of it. So it's not that big of a deal, but there's literally a major league rule that says the ball has to be properly rubbed so that the gloss is removed. And Lena Blackburn is the guy who did this in 1938. Now, why am I telling you about that? Why are you telling us about Well, that? because Lena Blackburn was from Clifton Heights, Philadelphia. Okay. Which is where 50 years later, two guys who are also from Clifton Heights recorded an album called Long Cold Winter. <laughs> and those two guys were Tom Kiefer and Eric Brittingham. Nice. So those two guys being from the same place, same place in Philadelphia, suburb of Philadelphia, and they get together. They had been in bands before. Tom was in a band where he would do cover songs, but he thought, you know what? Stones, they do their own songs. Zeppelin, they do their own songs. I want to get together with some guys and we're going to do our own music. And so that's what he did. Do you know what his cover band was called? Tell me. Saints in Hell. Okay. I thought that was kind of a clever name. Creative. It's Saints in Hell. It's very bad medicine or love a bad name or all those the, juxtaposed ideas. Yeah. Yes, it's the Desmond Child opposites go together. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, he got kind of addicted to drugs and alcohol when he was in high school and he almost dropped out. Yes. But his mom made a deal with him. If you get through high school, I will buy you the pinnacle of guitars, a Gibson Les Paul. Which brings me to our guest today, Mr. Kevin Davis, who has created for me a Les Paul-like guitar. I gave him one of my Les Paul-like guitars and I said, hey, can you make this good? And he went, yeah, I could do that. And then after a few weeks, he was like, uh, that guitar is so crappy. There's just no way. <laughs> and then finally, he, after several weeks of frustration, he was like, you know what? I've, I've figured out how to make it good. And I said, okay, good. And he goes, I'm buying you a new one. <laughs> and so he bought me a new one. And then after working on the new one, it's like everything relaxed and he fixed the old one too. So my, my good friend made me two guitars that are incredibly beautiful. If you guys have a desire for a custom-made beautiful, whether Les Paul style or something else, hit us up at ShirleyPodcast at gmail.com, and I'll put you in touch with Kevin Davis, who could make you something beautiful. Uh, thank you, D. Don't <laughs> give me too much credit, though. Turns out Kevin can polish a turd. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, well, wait a minute now. I, I want to I stop you for just a second, because yeah, I'm sure. not a guitar guy. Yeah. Tell me about the Gibson Les Paul, because I... I know nothing. What does that mean? Like, why is that important? Les Paul is kind of the guy who created the standard for electric guitars. Okay. So is this a $100 guitar? Is this a $1,000 guitar? Probably at least a $5,000 guitar Uh, new. Okay. Okay. The body style, the uh, just the electronics and the wood they use and the shape of it, it just has a very unique tone to it that you cannot replicate with, you know, a Fender 
a Fender Stratocaster is very very similar in the, in a way that the body its body style and body shape and electronics um, give it a unique style. But for rock musicians, a lot of rock musicians prefer the Les Paul. It is the um, as Dee said, it's the cream of the crop for rock guitarists. So after high school, he's got his Les Paul guitar. He's trying to make it as a musician, but that's a difficult task. He has side jobs of walking horses at uh, racetracks and delivering film to developing outlets. Nice. Hey, whatever it takes, right? Uh, right. But eventually he and Eric Brittingham get together. They get together with a couple of guys named Michael Shermick and Tony Destra, and they form the band Cinderella. Now, before you go any further, in 1983, Cinderella was discovered by a established rock star. Yeah. Now, nothing happened from this, but still... Gene Simmons of Kiss was the first guy who said, you guys got to be on a, on a label somewhere. Wait, you guys got to be making albums. Let's get this going. This is not the first time we've heard this story. Interestingly, we've heard this story before with Van Halen. That's right. Who we are comparing to Cinderella for this particular matchup. That's right. It's the How about that? new version of Van Halen, not the old version of Van Halen, but still... Gene Simmons tried with both bands to make something happen and couldn't convince the A&R guys. He wanted to change them their name to Daddy Longlegs. That was Van Halen. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, though, another rock musician heard them playing at the Empire Rock Club, and that is Mr. John Bon Jovi, who will come up here in a little while, I think. Yeah, for sure. And he said, I saw Tommy Kiefer on stage delivering some pretty nifty growling vocals. And then he whipped out this Les Paul and proceeded to lay into some astounding sounds. The guy struck me as a star right then and there. So he talks to his A&R man, Derek Shulman, who's a fantastic guitarist himself. And Shulman's like, ah, I don't know that they're ready to be signed yet. Let's do like a six-month development deal with them. But they negotiated and ended up signing with Polygram Records. So, you know, Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora end up in the video for Somebody Save Me. And so they kind of repay the favor. They're kind of endorsing Cinderella. And they actually toured with Bon Jovi on the Slippery When Wet tour in 1986. Hang on. Before we go any further, we have to talk about Pat's Chili Dogs. Okay. This is going to blow your socks off, okay? I'm ready. I'm All right. Ready. Have you seen their first music video for Pat's Chili dogs. No. Okay. Before I show this commercial to you guys. So, so here's the story with this. So there's a local business owner who had a chili dog store who is a fan of rock music. And he came and in one night he saw Cinderella perform. And he's like, hey, guess what, guys? I've got a chili dog stand and I want you guys to, to make the commercial for me. And he goes, here's the deal. I am a local MTV advertiser. So it only shows here in the Philadelphia area, but it will be shown on the channel that shows music television. Right. And so Tom Kiefer's like, well, it's not MTV, but it's pretty darn close. Right. So let's do it. Pat's Chili Dogs, check it out. Hey, 
How about that? Open 24 hours. When you're hungry, we're ready. <laughs> Tom Kiefer said that uh, they were open late, and so they got free food anytime they wanted. So after the gigs, they would always swing by, pat's dogs, and grab chili dogs. That's fantastic. I mean, the life of a rock star, right? <laughs> free chili dogs. So we got to put this in. We got to find our category to put this in because we've we've obviously got Brian Johnson doing the Hoover vacuum commercial. Yeah. We've got uh, David Coverdale doing, what was it, seltzer water commercials? Yes, that's right. And now we've got Cinderella doing chili dog commercials. I mean, come on. Could, I, it makes me could, want to have chili dogs. You can eat and drink and clean up afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, man. Uh, that's great. Okay, so as I mentioned, initially the lineup included Michael Shermick and Tony Destra, but in 85, just before they sign, they left the band. Sad. They, they quote-unquote left the band. Yeah. Okay, so here's the story. Derek Shulman, who was the uh, talent guy from Polygram, John Bon Jovi's ta talent guy, he came at Bon Jovi's request, watched him, and he said, okay, the singer, star. The guy with blonde hair, really good. The other two guys suck. Right? Yeah. And so he went to Tom Kiefer and he's like, listen, you've got to get rid of these two guys. And so Tom Kiefer said, I saw him interviewed about this. He said, if I didn't agree with what he said, I would have fought for them. But I agreed with him. They weren't up to par musically. So he had that hard conversation and said, guys, you got to go. So he kicked them out. But he also said, to their credit, they went and established themselves in another band. And that band is? Britney Fox. Britney freaking Fox. <laughs> Tell me your favorite Britney Fox song. Uh, easily, Long Way to Love. Long Way to Love, Summer of 88. And then, I mean, everybody pretty much knows Girl School. That's probably the most famous one. But for me, it's Long Way to Love. But I had that album. I mean, they were created as a clone of Cinderella. And you know what? It's dead on. It never <laughs> occurred to me that they are a poor man's Cinderella. Absolutely. I do recall that uh, they did uh, resemble Tom Keeper a lot. So they end up replacing them. Uh, guitarist becomes Jeff Labar and drummer becomes Jeff Dernick. Okay. And they record their debut album, Night Songs. Okay. All right. So you skip something that's really major. I got to tell you, I'm waiting to drop this bomb on you. Okay. okay? Yeah. So I told you guys that there's two major bands that were influenced by the formation of Cinderella. Yeah. Okay. So... Tom Kiefer fires two guys. They go on. They create Britney Fox. So that created a vacancy for a drummer and a guitarist. So Tom Kiefer's looking for guitarists. He's also friends with John Bon Jovi. Well, John Bon Jovi's not going to give him Richie Sambora, but he does have a friend who's a guitarist from the old neighborhood. Oh, no way. Do you remember his name? So is this Dave Sabo of Skid Row? Dave Snake Sabo of Skid Row oh my was almost the guitarist in Cinderella. Uh-huh. Okay, so here's the story. So obviously, Bon Jovi's stepping in, giving him a help, helping hand. Yeah. So they feel loyalty to John. Well, John's friend is Dave Snake Sabo, right? And they're like, okay, we need to look hard at this guy because he's friends with John and, you know, he can play and he's a good singer-songwriter, whatever. And so it comes down to him and Jeff LeBar. And so they auditioned both guys. And here's the thing that, that was the clincher. Snake Sabo would not leave them alone. He called him like every day. Like, am I in? 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 
And they're finally like, this guy's going to wear us out. So they're like, we can't have this guy. He's going to drive us crazy. So that is what caused them to say, Jeff Labar, you're in. Sorry, Snake Sabo. See you later. Which he said was the best thing in the world because at that moment, he's like, I was so desperate to get into an established band. He's like, I realized I just need to go start my own band. And that freaking gives us Skid Row. Wow. That's a good story, dude. Very nice. So they do night songs. They roll through a few different guitarists and drummers. One of the guys, Fred Curry, joins the band and was in all of the music videos and the tours. Right. And then totally misses out on everything else. He's not on the album. (laughs) That blows my mind. Like, how do you get in a band and you're never participating in the album? You know who was on the album, though? Tell me. Danny Carmasi. Yeah. Who is the guy from Heart. Yeah. And Cozy Powell which we talked about in our White Snake episode. Yeah. Cozy, who, Cozy's one of uh, Jeff Buckley's favorites. And so is Denny Carmasi. Yeah. James Buckley. There you go, buddy. <laughs> Drummers, we're learning, right? Cozy has been with many established bands throughout the years. Yeah. Jack Beck Group, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, White Snake, I mean, he's Emerson a, Lake and Powell. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, he's a star drummer, right? He's a star drummer. Exactly. So they end up touring to support Night Songs. They tour with Poison, and they're opening up for a Japanese heavy metal band. Did you guys know this? What? No. They opened for, them and Poison opened for a Japanese heavy metal band called Loudness. They continue touring through 87. These guys love touring. I I watched the video with them, and they were like, the saddest day of the tour was the day we pulled into the last hotel at the last show because we knew this was this was the end of it. Yeah. Which is different. I mean, most of the guys, like Van Halen, they're ready to kill each other at the end of their tours, right, right? right? But these guys love touring together. They opened for Loudness. They did then end up opening for David Lee Roth after that. How about that? It's crazy. The Van Halen connection. And then they, like you said, they opened for Bon Jovi on their Slippery When Wet tour. Then finally they come back and they are ready to do their second album, which is what we're here to discuss today, boys and girls, Long Cold Winter. Okay, before we get to Long Cold Winter, I got to ask you guys, did you hear the story with David Lee Roth on tour for Night Songs? No. No. Okay, so David Lee Roth has left Van Halen, and of course his ego is the size of, you know, New York City or whatever, and Cinderella is surging in popularity while David Lee Roth is kind of a little stagnant, not quite establishing himself that, that quickly, off of Van Halen, and so Cinderella starts to kind of pass him in popularity as the opening band, and so David Lee Roth starts to put all these restrictions on what they can and can't do as the opening band. So one of them was that you can't engage the crowd. And Tom Kiefer's like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, this is nuts. Like, you can't go, hey, Cleveland, how are you guys doing? Like, you can't do that. This is the type of weird (laughs) crap that David Lee Roth would do. Right, right. So that was an interesting time. They learned a lot. They learned what not to do as a headliner. Bon Jovi treat, treated them great, and so they try to treat others well, unlike the way they were treated from David Lee Roth. Nice. Well, so this this album, their second album, was a, a definite turn from the first album, right? Night Songs comes out, and it is full glam metal. Right. So Tom Kiefer said, this was new and exciting to us, and basically, when we heard what the polished recording sounded like, we we're blown away because our demos just sucked. You know, <laughs> so it was kind of this wow, this is amazing. But 
after a few months and years go by, he's like, you know, I kind of want less polished. I don't want this, you know, clean, loud, full fat sound. I want it more bluesy, more authentic, more raw. And you definitely get that with Long Cold Winter. For sure. But I told you guys, this was not an album that was in my wheelhouse uh, in 1988. 88 is is the year that I started listening to all of the old 70s stuff. I started listening to Zeppelin and Skinner and all these other things. And so I was familiar with Cinderella because of MTV and because Don't Know What You Got, but this was not an album in my wheelhouse. And so when it was time to do this, I'm sure you remember, I put, I put it on and I first three songs, I called you up and I was like, this is fan-freaking-tastic. Fantastic. I was amazed. I'm so glad that we were doing this because I love this album. That's so great. I'm so glad to hear that. And I could have called it. Like, I I told myself, I'm like, Dee's going to love this album. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And in fact, I think I know the song. There's one song on this album I'm like, okay, that's off the beaten track, and it's going to blow Dee's socks off. Yeah. So we'll get to We'll talk about it. Now, Kevin, did you own this album? I did. First CD I ever owned. Is that right? I did. I bought it the same day I bought my first CD player. Uh, they didn't have much of a selection, but they did have Long Cold Winter. I'd been a fan of Night Songs, so I bought the album, took it home, put it in, and the song that you're about to talk about is totally blew me away. You said you had roommates this time, right? I had two roommates, and I put it on and cranked it up, and they were in there saying, who's this? This is great. So, I mean... Let's. Are we ready to dive I in? That, I think that's the answer. That's right a there. great it's, intro. It is the yeah. time to jump into the album. So, stick it in. Song number one. The song's called "Bad Seamstress Blues," or you might know it as "Falling Apart at the Seams." So I think that I probably felt the same way that everybody who had heard Night Songs felt when they put this in and listened to it the first time. And we were like, what is this? What is this? Is this Robert Johnson? What are we listening to here? This is a Dobro. This is not a Gibson Les Paul. This is not a hard Marshall stack. This is an acoustic Dobro blues with a harmonica and a, I don't even know what that. I, it's like the mouth that, harp, um, maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! I, I, I was, my mind was blown. It blew my hair back. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm like, what is this coming out of my speakers? And it, it's that slow build. You got the slide guitar. You got the little tap of the drums. You got the harmonica, and then you start to get that that beat. Right, just boom, 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 and then the guitar comes in. Oh, it fell out of my chair. It's freaking amazing. It's definitely how you start an album. That's yeah. right. And if and if you know, I want to do blues stuff, but I also want to speak to the guys who bought whatever 50,000 night songs a week for months on end, then you say, let's go, boys, and you come in with that blasting guitar. It's freaking amazing. It's blues. It's rock. It's hard rock. But 
this whole album has got a very sort of Mississippi blues feel to it and yet stays true to its rock roots. So Absolutely. The word that I saw described best for this song, I thought, was the word Titanic. This is a kick in the teeth coming out of the gate. I freaking love this song. So this, you remember when we talked about Back in Black, that last song on the album that I said, hey, these this is the one that these guys do something different. They do something varied. Right. What I love about this album is that this is varied right out of the gate from what they had done before, but then they still give you, they give you little taste of the blues and God. the beauty of his lyrics. I mean, he's got some depth that... I was expecting stuff like Poison and Motley Crue were writing back then, not these deep emotional lyrics. It kicks me in the teeth, like you said. That might be the perfect comparison. So rock and roll ain't noise pollution. This song's very ACDC, you know? What a great comparison, you know? Very good. What do you think? Love the song. Uh, one of the Probably the, the most catching song to me on the album. Uh, very under underrated, underappreciated, but... Uh, for those that, that have heard it, I'm sure 90% of them will love it. Yeah. there's. I have one small thing that bugs me about this song. Okay. One small thing. Okay. What's the title of this song? <laughs> is it Bad Seamstress Blues or is it Falling Apart at the Seams? I think the uh, intro is Bad Seamstress Blues and the uh, once it starts rocking, it's Falling Apart at the Seams. Okay. That bugs me. Let's just call it one thing and let's kick it in the teeth and go down the road, you know? So I was, Kevin, when he was talking to me about this album, uh, said that he would listen to the first three songs over and over again. And I think you were saying you listen to Bad Seamstress Blues, Falling Apart at the Seams, and Gypsy Road. Like that was, that was one, two, three. It was like one, two, and three. Like one is really one and two. Right, 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 right. So I don't know. It's just a little personal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very much a tone setter for the album too. Yeah. This one, when it, when it started going, it took me back to some of the stuff that Jimmy Page was doing when he was with Led Zeppelin. That's He would do a slide frequently, and this one, definitely, he was jumping on that. Because I know that Kiefer is a huge Led Zeppelin fan. You know, you talk about it. The producer of this album is Andy Johns. Yeah. And, I mean, he worked on Led Zeppelin 4. Yeah, he worked, on, he worked with Led Zeppelin, hero of theirs, Rolling Stones, hero of theirs, now, obviously, he had been with them already on Night Songs. He had produced that one. Right. But then, after this album, he goes on to produce For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge <laughs> and live right here, right now. So, we're going to talk about that next week because I definitely, yeah. I definitely think that the Van Halen boys said, we want an album that sounds like Long Cold Winter. Yeah. And they hired Andy Johns. By the way, I couldn't find the story on this. Tom Kiefer says, Andy Johns was brilliant, but... He was nuts. Like, he was crazy. He said, like, we were worried about our safety at times. Okay. And I was like, man, I got to find out more about this. Couldn't find it. Huh. So, but he did tell them that everyone, at one point or another, that they all sucked. <laughs> so, sometimes you need that, right? Yeah. You motivate you people in different ways, right? <laughs> he said, uh, Andy Johns told him that uh, during one take, he, you know, pressed the call button and said, Thomas, he, he called him Thomas, which I thought that was funny. <laughs> he said, Thomas, what we're going for here 
is when they get to the end of the record that they'll want to pick up and start it over. <laughs> they were like, okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, are we done with this one? Yes, yeah, so let's move on to song number two. Song number two, this song is called Gypsy Road. Fast talking mama for a dollar, put a smile on my face. Tell me that that is not borrowed from Aerosmith. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. I love it. This is a great song about being on the road and missing being home and not being able to go home. I'm always on the road and never going home. It's two songs in a row, my hair's blown back. It's just blown me away the, the strength of these songs right off the bat. song it still stands the test of time today it it could come out today but it it's very uh reminiscent of, of Aerosmith. the song could have also uh easily been slid right onto night songs and it would fit in with the songs like that album. it is definitely more of the metal sound than than the first song yeah for sure so this was the first single so i don't think we said it the album came out july 5th of 1988 so we're dead center summer of 88 they dropped this uh video and this single first it only reaches number 51. Are you kidding me? At the peak of hair metal? Only 50. I I don't know what they were looking for, but uh, this song is deserves better. It's underappreciated. Yes, sir. This was their opening track from the Moscow Peace Festival, and we, we've talked about that a few times. Yeah, so it's interesting. The You can watch the video on YouTube, but it's got this probably nearly two-minute long introduction that's not on the song that is synthesizer strings playing while Tom Kiefer is singing, and the, you've got this gigantic stadium full of these Soviet citizens who are getting to ro watch rock, real rock music for the first time, all just banging their head, even though it's like strings playing. And then when the other guys come out and the song begins with the full blast of the guitar and the drums, get this aerial shot, you can see the entire stadium fluctuate with passion. As, as they're like, oh my gosh, here it is. Here's the rock. Yeah. I, we actually rented that the night that it dropped. We pay-per-viewed it. Me and my friends, we pay-per-viewed the Moscow Peace Festival. Wow. And we, we loved it. It was great. So I got to ask you, have you guys seen the music video recently for Gypsy Road? No. No. Okay. So it's, it's shot in and around Cancun, Mexico. So the director of the video is a guy named Nick Morris. He's done a ton of videos. The one he did right before this one was Carrie by Europe. Yes. And then he's like, hey, we're going to go down to Cancun, which sounds like a great plan, except that it's the middle of summer. It is 120 degrees, 100% <laughs> humidity. Yeah, but hey, it's okay because we're going to film on like the Chichen Itza pyramid, so it's going to be fantastic, right? Right. No. no. They get down there and they're like, no, you can't film here. What are you talking about? He's they're like... like got a contract see the signature right here see we sign it yeah no can't do it so while they're the heads are working it out one guy grabs a camera and it's just like guerrilla filming and so everything you see in the video with chitsa Itza, it's one guy running with a camera over here hey grab your guitar play real quick <laughs> and they kind of stitch it together it's fantastic so 
You guys distract him. We're going <laughs> to take the good drummer and the bass player over here for a few minutes. Hey, I've been to Chichen Itza, yeah. and they don't want you freaking touching that. I'll tell you oh, that. Heck, no, they don't. No, yeah. yes. It it's was cool. hot when I went to. It's freaking hot. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing, too. I, I don't, I've never really understood this, but Nick Morris, the video director, was given 10 days to come up with two videos. So they fly to Mexico, shoot this, and then immediately they fly to Northern California to shoot the next song we're going to talk about. Far Northern California. Yeah. Like where you've gone from 120 degrees to like zero degrees. Like freezing your butt off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that brings us to song number three, probably the most famous song of the band. Don't know what you got till it's gone. Heartaches come and go, and all that's left are the wounds. If you happen to break up with somebody between late 88 <laughs> and 1991, chances are this song came on the radio and you started crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely on the make-out list of 88, man. Make-out, break-up, get-back-together list. Oh, man. Yeah. So Makes this me tear up just thinking about it. <laughs> remember that girl. Hey, remember Jeannie Alexander, our friend of the show, mm -hmm. Patreon member Jeannie Alexander said, if this is not on your best of 88, you're doing it wrong. Oh, 100%. Because remember, we did our best of 88 list. <laughs> I should have had that. I should have had this one on there. I don't know how it. I think. I think what I thought was we're going to be covering the whole album soon, and I'm going to leave it for that. But I will say this: this is the song that I knew from the album before listening to it for this episode. I felt like maybe Seamstress Blues was going to overcome it, but there's too much nostalgia. It's still my favorite song on the album. But there are a whole lot of songs that I am so happy that I know now because of this episode. So. Yeah. It's awesome. Kevin, what do you think? I love this song. I thought it was a lyrically and musically it was it it gave you everything you wanted in a song. Um the, the video was pretty cool. Nor didn't realize it was in Northern California. Just recall him sitting with waves crashing. So in the in the tour, after the you know, when they do their fourteen month long tour for this album afterwards, they would start the show with him being lowered down, playing a white piano, playing this song. Lowered from the ceiling. Yeah. Awesome. The 80s were so freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody flies anymore. <laughs> so, sweet, soulful vocals, right? You have the guitar solo that's awesome. Can we just talk for a second about the fact that Tom Kiefer is so, so good at the guitar, and then he's got this voice. I mean, like Brian Johnson, like I said, like that's what I yeah. think of as Brian Johnson. Yeah, yeah. He could have done any ACDC song and I would have known the difference but he's at the time 
was able to go from that rough, gruff, screamy voice to these beautiful, like you, it, you can't even tell it's the same guy. It's so good. And then he's also a blisteringly good guitarist. His, yes, he is. His guitar work is amazing. Yeah. Very talented young man. Yeah. They bring the strings in. Anytime you add strings to a, to a rock ballad, I want to cry. Yes. Yeah. Breaks your heart. <laughs> so this song was the second single. It peaked at number 12 on the Hot 100. What? Yes. What? Only number 12. Would you would you like to hear the 11 better songs than this? I got to tell people. I got to tell people this, right? So yeah. I, I see number 12, and Im- immediately my mind goes to, okay, Jason's going to mm-hmm. give us the, the 11 songs that were better than the song. So we got here today, and you were like, oh, I don't have my list. And Kevin's like, I know him. Yeah, I know. That was awesome. <laughs> I looked him up today. <laughs> well, Kevin, do you want to go through the list? Yeah. Go ahead. All right. So, number 11, I Don't Want Your Love by Duran Duran. Then number 10, we've got One Moment in Time by Whitney Houston. Okay. I mean, makes every NCAA tournament. Yeah. Then you have Look Away by Chicago. <sighs> That's pretty good. It's pretty good, right? <laughs> How Can I Fall by Breathe. These are, these are make-out songs, yeah, right? Yeah. Kissing the Fool by George Michael. This, this is a lot of make-out that music. A, that's a D favorite right there. It is. It's very jazzy, but I love it. Yeah. We have Baby, I Love Your Way by Will to Power with the Freebird uh, breakdown in the middle. Right. We When did we talk? We talked about that recently. What we was We did. Uh, what was that? It was uh, It was Open Up and Say Ah, I think. Was it? Okay. It was, one. It was yeah, one of those albums. Okay. Then you have Kokomo by the Beach Boys. Oh, Def Dave's favorite song of all time. Right. <laughs> then you have Desire by U2. Okay. These are, I mean, these are some big hitters. I'm, okay. not, I'm not complaining yet. Okay. Locomotion by Kylie Minogue. Well, okay. Easy on the eyes. Yeah. Wild Wild West by Escape Club. One of these uh, best of 88. Yeah. Honorable mentions. On, on my, yeah. And then Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi. Whew. Okay. Well, I mean, those are all really good. That's, That's a stout list, right? That there. is a strong list. There was. There were songs on there that I don't like as well as the song, but it's they're still pretty dang good. Yeah. So just talking about the video, shot at Golden Hour. When you look at it, it's all golds and purples. And so they, they talked about how they definitely always shot at dawn and dusk. They also talked about how the aerial shots, they had a Vietnam vet who had access to a helicopter that the first day when the helicopter didn't work, he's like, no problem, we'll just jump it. So they jump-started... The helicopter. <laughs> Does that make you worry at all? <laughs> You're about to get on a helicopter, and they're like, okay, get out the jumper cable. <laughs> he said they were always like, is the helicopter doing okay? <laughs> and then, of course, the shoot was very, very cold. Go from Cancun, blistering hot, to Mono Lake, California, freaking freezing. Mono Lake, by the way, formed 750,000 years ago. Thank you. Just what? had that what bit of information in my head. Yeah, <laughs> it is known for its uh, uh, a lot of marine life, including Brian Shrimp. What? I don't know. What are you it's, talking about? Here? I'm just telling you, Mono Lake. I know it. <laughs> okay, Kevin, you got any kind of uh, trivia on Mono Lake for us? Uh, first time I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, three tracks in. We've got Killer, Killer killer yep are we ready for track four yes 
Fourth song on the album, this song is called The Last Mile. This one starts off with a theme that was pretty popular in 1988, doing a 12-string guitar intro to jump right into a nice, heavy, crunchy guitar. Arpeggio? Hey, I've learned something, right? (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's a great... This is a great rock song. This is not as bluesy, but uh, this song's great, too. This We're four tracks in. I'm loving it. Yeah, this was a single, right? It was. This reached number 36 on 100. This is the third single. Kevin, what do you think, man? I love the song. I don't have much to add. Always enjoyed listening to the song, though. This song is about finding contentment on the road of life. These guys are not really singing about boobs and girls and drugs. and I mean, they're different than their peers in that aspect, I think. Well, one of the lines of the song is monkey on my back, but... Got to find yes. a better way. Better way. Yes. Not, not a love affair with heroin. It's not a list of strip clubs like we <laughs> saw from Motley Crue. So. <laughs> Great song. Love it. Uh, this was released January of 1989. The video for The Last Mile is your standard 80s fair where it's concert and sort of you get a peek behind the curtain and it's they're on the road and tra- everybody had a traveling road video. Well, this is theirs. <laughs> I was going to say, this wasn't a skipper for you? No, it wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Is it, what do you think? No, this one was good. I just remember him telling me. One of these songs is a skipper, and I was trying to figure out if it was this one or maybe the next one. Okay. All All right. right. There we go. (laughs) So that brings us to last song on side one, back when things had sides. Yes. (laughs) Yes. This is Second Wind. Okay, so I like this song. Yeah? The sound made me think of a Guns N' Roses song that would not come out for another three years. Yeah, yeah. You Could Be Mine from T2. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, this has this same kind of style to it. Same, And then I got about two minutes and 40 seconds into the song, and it's got this little breakdown right here. Guns N' Roses totally stole this song. Well, you would think so, except they wrote You Could Be Mine in 87. Okay. <laughs> that's all right. I won't say that. I no, won't, I, mean, I won't trash your theory. No, it's, uh, that's fine. It's okay. Did they? They almost put it on appetite. That's right. They did. It's no, okay. That blows my theory. No, that's fine. It's, it's, I, I like that. I like that. That's fine. We can keep it in there. 
Sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. All right, well, I don't know. Maybe, I know, no, I maybe think... Cinderella heard Guns N' Roses. I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, I, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the breakdown that they didn't have in the original version. There you go. Could be. I don't know. Now, Kevin, you're telling us this is a skipper. My notes. <laughs> if they put more thoughts into the lyrics, it would be a better song. Okay. Musically, it's okay song. Okay. Not your favorite? Not my favorite. Okay. My least favorite on the album. Really? Okay. Yes. Okay. D, what do you think? Um, I'm more of a music guy anyway, so I'm still digging this one, and I'm trying not to think about Guns N' Roses, but uh, but no, I dug it, and I like that. I really like that breakdown in the middle. I do. So this song, Second Wind, is the only song on the album that Cozy Powell did not play the drums on. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe is that's that... why Kevin didn't like it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Denny Kermasi? Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. I've got a quick story. Okay. Adjacent to this song. Okay. So this made the set list in Tulsa, Oklahoma on March of 1989. Okay. So there was song number 10 and they played it between Gypsy Road and Nobody's Fool from Night Songs. Okay. So this was a song they did play in concert. Now then, I've told you, you know me pretty well. In March of 89... I was on a ski trip, but Cinderella played Tulsa, Oklahoma the same week as I was supposed to go skiing. And it was Cinderella and Winger and the Bullet Boys. And I freaking love ski trips, but I literally was like, hmm, Cinderella, Winger, Bullet Boys, or ski trip. I opted for the ski trip, but I, the one concert in my life that I missed that I could have gone to was this one. And Still has a little twinge in my heart because I missed <laughs> little, it. A little pained. A little pain. A little regret. Yeah. Yes. It was over spring break. It was like, I remember it because it was on spring break in my high school year. So, so there you go. Sorry for you. I know. So, I did not get to hear Second Wind played at the 10th overall song <laughs> on that. So, All right. Well, it's time for you to say it, Jason. Hit stop on your tape player. Kick it out. Flip it over for side two. And we kick it off with a song called... Long cold winter. Hell yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. Let's start side one with the blues from the crossroads, and let's start side two with this beautiful, soulful blues lead guitar that just melts your freaking face. I love it. For the record, this was the song that I said, Dee's going to love this song. You were right. Yes. Friend. You sorry. were right. Yes. Very, very good. Very good song. Like this, Bad Seamstress Blues, Falling Part of the Seams, Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone, and Long Cold Winter are my top three on the album, and they could find the top spot any day, depending on my mood. Woo! Okay. Kevin, what do you think? Love this song. Uh, musically and vocally, it reminds me of Janis Joplin. Okay. 
just a very uh, heartfelt blues song. Makes you feel the pain that he's feeling yeah. as he's singing it to you. His vocals are blistering in this song. It's, an, I mean, the, just the first line to the song. I've been down. I've been crying in the dead of night. I've been trying. I've been trying to find the time to make it right. If that's not the blues, I don't know what is. That's the blues, baby. <laughs> don't get out of here without paying the blues. <laughs> Thank you, Adventures and Babies. <laughs> you know, I was I was listening to this album today, and uh, I thought to myself, if this song had been playing in the background during the weird science scene where he's like, that's man, let me tell you my story, man. <laughs> It would have fit, right? Kicked him in the nuts. <laughs> in the family jewel. <laughs> yes, super bluesy. Uh, during the concerts, it would snow during this song. Oh, how did what? They would drop artificial snowflakes from the <laughs> ceiling during this song. All right. I mean, once again, concerts are not what they were. They drop a friggin' piano from the ceiling and they make it snow during the song "Local Winter." How cool is that? Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Thought maybe I'd just bring this up at this moment. Jeff Labar, who was the original, not original, guitarist for Cinderella, the one we know from Night Songs On, passed away July 14th of 2021. Uh, had a long history of substance abuse and was one of the main reasons why Cinderella had been inactive for a lot of years. Tom Kiefer, actually his, one of his, his left vocal cord was paralyzed. Yeah. And it wasn't something he could really get over, so that was a major factor. But Jeff Labar had some heroin issues, and uh, after going missing for three or four days, they uh, discovered him in his apartment in Nashville. It was kind of a sad, sad thing. Yeah, it's tragic. So... So this is the perfect sad story to tell during this incredibly sad, bluesy song. I, I don't want to be done with this song, but we do have to keep going. I am proud of myself, though, for nailing the song that you would love on this album. <laughs> All right, that brings us to song number two on side two, song number seven on the album. This song is called If You Don't Like It. really want to hear Joe Perry and Steven Tyler cover this song. Yeah. Because I think they would kill it. Yeah. It's It has got a Joe Perry style lick to it. It has got the rhythm that all of Steven Tyler's songs have. I would love to hear them cover this song. That being said, this is not my favorite song on the album. What do you think, Kev? I agree. I don't like the song as much as I like others on the album. I don't think it's a bad song. It's a better song. Well, okay. I definitely would agree that there are better songs, but this is a great song, too. I, I, I enjoy nice this one. It. Yeah, nice it, and his, uh, once again, killing it vocally, you know, it, and it's fun, you know, the, the just don't care, you know, the squeal of his voice on that one. This gets radio play. I like it. It's not a skipper. Still a lot of fun. It 
it's hard when you compare it to Gypsy Road and don't know what you got. <laughs> so they set uh, the bar high. <laughs> they did. They did. By the way, just I, I wanted to mention this. I forgot to say this. So we've talked about how they sound very Aerosmith. They sound very ACDC. There's some Zeppelin in there, maybe some Rolling Stones, right? So I just looked at the set list for that concert in Tulsa when I was in high school. They closed with Jumpin' Jack Flash and Sweet Home Alabama. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, that would have been a great, great ending to that concert. So Yeah, I saw the the end of their sets every time they would do Sweet Home Alabama and they would bring out their opening acts, sing the song and play the song with them. It was kind of like this group show that we're going to, hey, we're going to go with a song that everybody loves, right? But on, on the last night of the last concert of the tour, the opening band had left. They were gone. I don't oh, remember who it was, yeah. but they were gone. And so what they did was they brought out the crew. They brought out all the roadies and all the guys that were responsible for getting everything put together and taking everything down. And you've got a stage full of guys. I mean, who never get to play guitar on stage up there playing guitar, singing all Sweet Home Alabama, arms around each other. Just, you know, they're all happy and sad to be bringing this incredible tour to an end. That is so cool. That just puts a smile on my face. I love that. All right. And oddly enough, that brings us to the perfect next song. This one is called coming home. I'm spiking the football. This is my favorite song on the album. Oh, wow. I freaking love this song. Nice. Now, I'm willing to admit that it has some to do with that time in my life. Gosh, this song just hits me right in the in the feels. So I'm not ready to say it's the best song on the album, but it's my favorite. I absolutely love it. I'm coming home. What do you think, Tim? I love the song. Yeah. Always have. Once again, bringing the 12th string back in. And this is this exemplifies what I was talking about, where he can go from that growly, scratchy to this beautiful, melodic voice. Like, I hear this song, and I have the same reaction that I have when I hear Dream On for the first time in years. And I'm like, is this really him? Because it doesn't even sound like him until it hits that dream, scream and dream on. This one, he's got this beautiful melody to his voice, and the chord progression and the rhythm, this is almost like a country song. I mean, this is, and the feels of a country song of like, I'm, I'm finally getting to go back home, back where I'm going to get home-cooked food again. This is a very country feel, and their execution, I think, is flawless on it. It's fantastic. This is the fourth single. This reached number 20 on the Hot 100. I'm not going to go through the 19 better songs, but... <laughs> uh, but I, I absolutely love it. Now, the music video, have you guys seen it recently? No, I have not seen no. it recently. Okay, so here's the deal. You have this guy who rides his motorcycle, and apparently he's involved romantically in this girl. But somehow they get separated, and he's on his way back home. Like, he's headed back to see her, right? And there's memories of this girl. And when he gets all the way back there, apparently there are no phones in this universe. <laughs> he gets all the way back to see her, goes to the house that they spent all this time in, and it's boarded up. Like, the house is, like, empty, boarded up. And he's like, oh, no, what happened? And then the girl walks in and comes around the corner. No kiss, no hug, no nothing. What? It's the weirdest video, man. (laughs) First of all, he gets back home. It's boarded up. She's moved out. But miraculously, she happens to be there. And then no kiss, no hug. There's no reconciliation at the end, so... 
Not the best video I've ever seen in my life, but the song is fantastic. Yeah. Won't be a sequel to that video. <laughs> no kids, no grandkids, no nothing. So. Yeah, this was a different director than the other videos. This was a guy named Chris Painter, who I feel like we've probably talked about before, but I'm glad that I looked because, like I said to you, I was surprised listening to this album because, to me, I didn't feel at all like the glam rock, the bands that they were with on the Moscow Peace Festival. It didn't feel like that at all. It felt more like Tesla and Black Rose. Yeah. Like all this blues feels. Well, Chris Painter is the guy who directed all of the Tesla videos. The Love Song, Signs, Roll the Bones, all of those are Chris Painter videos. My guess is he recorded the first part and then they had another guy come in because there's two and the second guy's named Mark Reshevsky, who has done not much. Okay. <laughs> Not much. What do we cover in Tesla, D? I don't know. I mean, I think the perfect matchup is Black Crows, so we just got to figure out how to make that happen, right? Tesla versus Black Crows. I am on board. Yeah. I'm on board. Okay, moving on. Next song on the album is called Fire and Ice. Okay, gentlemen, for me, this is the first skipper on the album. This feels like filler to me. Second to last song on the album, first skipper. I agree. This is a skipper. This is the one skipper for me. Kev? I agree. It's not not a very good song. Every time I hear it, I'm like hearing it for the first time. <laughs> it doesn't stick with me. It doesn't me. stick with me. It's more rock. It's crunchy. You know, I, I could see this being a concert song, you know, with fire and ice, maybe like red lights and blue lights. And Amp up the pyrotechnics. Yeah. Except they didn't play it on their set list, so this is not a great concert <laughs> They song. felt the same way about the song that we did. Right. They're like, that was just a filler song. We don't really care about that song. Yeah. Okay. Skipper. So, very good. That will move right along then. Moving on. Last song on the album, Say It Ain't So. This song is called Take Me Back. Mississippi Queen. Oh, wait. No, sorry. Wrong song. <laughs> Wrong song. I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. Really <laughs> <laughs> uh, had the cowbell. Yeah, the cowbell is the strongest part of this song next to the lyrics. Lyrics are good. Cowbell's good. Rest of the song, I can see why Andy Johns was like, guys, we need to end better than this. <laughs> hey, I think this is a pretty good closer for this album. It's, it's middle of the road. It's not a skipper. It's not fantastic. But for me, it closes out the album nicely. It's a, it's a feel-good song. I'm okay with it. I enjoyed the song. Yeah. That all you got? Mississippi Queen. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, it's. I agree. It is not a skipper, but it is. It's not memorable either. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Before we end this album, I want I want to drop this on you real quick. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this album sold, you know, I think it went two times platinum in the U.S. So it sold a bunch of copies. It peaked at number ten on the Billboard 200. All right, D. Here are the nine albums that finished ahead of it in total sales, okay? Okay. Number nine, open up and say ah. 
covered by the Shirley Can't Be Serious podcast. Yes. Who, what do we compare that to? Living Colors Vivid album. That's uh, a good comparison. Okay. Number eight, Richard Marks debut album. Well, that was big. I was very big back then. We keep coming across this. We may have to cover that sometime. Yeah. Number seven, OU812. Which we're comparing to this album. Covering it next week. Number six, Faith. Yeah. Number five, he's the DJ, I'm the rapper. You know who sang that one? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's it. DJ Jazzy Jeff, the Fresh Prince. Number four, Roll With It by Steve Winwood. Number three, Tracy Chapman's debut album. Number two, Appetite for Destruction. And number one, Hysteria. So, well, those are, again, that's a heck of a list. That's a heck of a list, right? Yeah. So, overall, great album. I love so many songs on this album. Side note. Tracy Chapman just became the first African-American woman to have a song on the top of the country charts because Luke Combs just covered Fast Car. Fast Car. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, good for her. That's fantastic. There you go. I got. Like I said, these pieces of information just floating around up in the bean there. Impressive. Yeah. Impressive. Okay. Overall, Kevin, what do you think? Love the album. I thought it was a good progression from their debut album. Thought that you could see maturity and growth in the right direction. And I was, I loved it. I thought it was, uh, when it came out, I was uh, glad I bought it and uh, we wore it out. I'm, D, I'm really excited to hear what you think because you didn't grow up with this like we did. No, yeah, this was, I, I was, I'm very thankful for getting to, become familiar with this album. This will be one that I bring into my rotation. I'm going to be, uh, my youngest daughter is only 11, but she absolutely loves ACDC. And I'm like, she's going to love this album. She's going to love Cinderella. I'm looking forward to introducing it, or introducing her to it. By Blow the way, her doors off with the <laughs> right. first couple of songs. By the way, side note, I go to this local restaurant all the time called Louie's, which is where Kevin and I will hang out frequently and the first time that he met my daughter, he thought that I had said that it was her birthday. And so he went and sang happy birthday to her. <laughs> and it was not her birthday. But it is now a running gag that every time that he sees her or she sees him, they tell each other happy birthday. And frequently he will order a dessert for her. <laughs> that is very, very nice. Love it. Hey, here's what I think is so funny about that. So you guys obviously frequent this restaurant a lot because... We took Dale Selby over there after we recorded Open Up and Say Ah, and we were looking for you. Where's yeah. Kevin? He was there. He was? He was there, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what? I didn't see him. Well, he was at the bar and we were outside. Oh, and so, okay. You know, there you go. Oh, shoot. Sorry. Next time. There we go. Next okay. Year. So this obviously was their biggest album. It was, yeah. And then it took a couple years and they came out with Heartbreak Station, which went even further into the blues style. And then. It was another four years before they finally came out with Still Climbing, and by that time, the music industry had changed substantially. Right. And as you mentioned earlier, Tom Kiefer had a vocal cord get paralyzed. Paralysis, yeah. I mean, that's I don't even know how you go through that, but he, he ultimately trained his voice back up, had to relearn how to sing. But since this time, they've gotten back together for one reunion tour. It was the cruise, the... A Rock Isn't Dead or something like that. Old 80s rock cruise ship type thing. But then he started having trouble with his voice again and they fell apart again. But he still, I mean, I think a lot of these guys live in the same, they all live in Nashville, I think. They do, yeah. And so he he kind of maintains, it's not that the band is dead. We still communicate, we still hang out, we still play together. It's just, 
we are kind of on a hiatus because I've had these issues with my voice and we have, you know, we're not making anything new at this point. That kind of bums me out. I mean, look what they're capable of. Yeah. I will be anxious to hear what you think about comparing this next week to Van Halen's OU812. I'm excited to cover it. And when we come back, we will have a guest with us. Mr. Jeff Johnson is uh, coming over to talk Van Hagar with us next week. Yeah, and so you might be asking yourself the question, why did we pick Kevin, who's got his grandson named after Van Halen, (laughs) to do this album instead of the Van Halen album? Well, come back for our next episode where you will get final judgment from Jason, from me, from Jeff Johnson, and from Kevin on which of these two albums is the best. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I am a pleasure just to meet you. And uh, get to hang out with you a little bit. I'm so glad to meet you. Well, I enjoy the program a lot. I listen to your podcasts uh, weekly and honored to be here. Cool. Did you have fun? I had a great time. Awesome. Well, we will see you guys back here next week when we talk about Van Halen's OU812.